late now. Everyone will know. It's good to see everybody. Can you hear me okay? Good, I don't have to yell. Well, I had a, a very strange week. I have to tell you about this. It started on Sunday, so, because you know that's the first of the week. And you know how I was, uh, how we talked about thorns last week in the Storm of Thorns and Flesh. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, Ellen Thorne <laughs> reminded me that she herself is not a thorn. However, she is a thorn. But uh, anyway, um, so during the service, remember that my watch fell off my hand and or up my wrist and it broke. So that was like the moment of a public thorn, which I prefer all of my thorns to be private thorns, but this was a public thorn, so what are you going to do? And by the way, I haven't got my watch fixed yet. Um, I'm thinking about maybe getting a different watch. Okay, that's side note. So then on, I think it was on Sunday, Sunday morning, I mean Monday morning, I, uh, we have our mor- Vicky and I have our morning devotions, and I had my phone with me. And so after that, my pattern is to go outside, and I water my plants. And while I'm watering my plants, of course, I'm talking to them. I'm you know, telling them things. And so because it's all hands on deck when I'm watering, you know, it's kind of a two-handed thing. So I set my phone down on top of the fence. Now, we have a, we, it's like a, uh, we have a good cap on the fence. It's a... It's a uh, like eight or ten inch cedar thing, so it you know it sat on top of there. Okay, so I put it on there, but the problem was that when I put it down there, it was a mindless act of not thinking about what I was doing. I just you know how that is sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one that knows this, but but you're thinking about other things, and so you put something down somewhere and. For me, it's always putting things down about eye level, so it's going to be up here, flat surface. That's I don't. I generally do not put things way down. Why do that, right, Marv? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I put it down there, and then I just went about watering, and then I had some other things. I was goofing around the backyard. All of this was on uh, on Monday morning. Well, I went back in the house. I I couldn't find my phone, and you know this is how. Uh, how uh, addicted or just dependent I become on the phone. I feel like that if now it used to be if you lose your wallet, you know, your life ends. If you lose your car keys, your life ends. And I thought, oh, that'll never happen with a phone. Literally, it felt like I was going to be lost the whole day if I couldn't find my phone. So anyway, I'm looking, 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 looking. I, I promise you, I looked on top of that fence and it wasn't there. And I, was look- I thought, well, maybe it fell down. You know, I'm looking down, and I was pe- peering over the neighbors, and I was looking, you know, all these places where it could possibly be, unc- you know, pulling things out. And finally, um, I had to leave for work co- to come up here. And uh, I thought, oh, gosh, how am I going to drive my car without my phone? I mean, this is just like, you know, it was murder. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll just I'll drive very carefully so I don't, you know, have a wreck or something. So anyway, I got to work and, uh, and spent the whole day. I was grumpy and moody all Monday because in the back of my mind, where's my phone? And oh my gosh, maybe I, oh God, don't tell me I have to go up to get a new phone. So anyway, I went over to AT&T because I thought, well, my phone is lost forever and I don't know where it is. And, you know, I felt like that parable of the woman and the lost coin. That's exactly what I felt like. I'm sweeping, sweeping, looking, looking, looking. Couldn't find it. So I went to AT&T. Here's what they told me. In order for us to uh, get into your account, we have to, we will send a PIN number <laughs> to your phone, and then you can get into your account, and then we'll get you a new phone. I said, well, this, that creates a dilemma because I, I don't know where my phone is. I put it down somewhere. I lost it totally. It's gone forever. I don't What do I do? They said, well, go over to Best Buy because over at Best Buy, you can buy a phone over there and then uh, you can bring the phone back here. I, I don't know what that had anything to do with it, but I was so distraught 
that I just said, whatever, okay. So I went over to Best Buy, and basically they had said the same thing. We're a third party, and so we can't break into your account and because it'll send a pin. So whatever it was. All right. So I got home, and we prayed that night. And what I prayed for was, Lord, help me see what you see. That's what I prayed. And so then I just went to sleep fitfully. And I got up the next morning, and that sucker was right on top of the fence. Right where I left it. And had looked at it the whole time, and I didn't see it. Now, you know, a little angle was different or whatever. But even at night when I was, like, reaching on top of the fence to look over, surely my hand would have hit it where it was. But I didn't. I did not see it. That's... There was no coffee in my system. That's what it was. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. So anyway, the, le- the message here is, I, I have no idea what the message is, but, but I just want to share that story with you. Well, I, because it just is, is like one of those weird things that how easy it is to look at something and not see it. Okay? Does this, does this affect anybody else here? Looking but not seeing, you know, and give us the eyes to see and it's reminiscent of a little bit of what our reading, there's a phrase in our reading this morning where, where uh, Jesus says to John, let him who has ears, let him hear. And, and so that sort of suggests that if you have ears, you may not hear. If you have eyes, I assure you, you will not see. I mean, just, it, it's just kind of one of those interesting things. So anyway, I thought I would share that with you this morning. Yeah. Yeah, but... They could find it at my house. Why are you telling me this now? Yeah, yeah, I don't have an iPhone. I'm one of those Android guys that, you know, living in the dark ages. So, so I, don't, I don't have that. I turn the ringer off. Oh, yeah, now I heard, I heard that lecture already. Yeah, there, assure, I assure you, there's no shortage of wisdom coming my direction now all week. Like, well, what do you, why did you do that? And why, you know, whatever, whatever compassion there was before, when, before the phone was, now that's done. And now we're into the learning mode of what I should do next time. So, anyway, yeah. So did you have a party and call all your neighbors to? I'm telling you right now, yes, this is the party. Well, this is a joyous moment, yeah, yeah, yes. Well, I did tell Pastor Coleman and Matt Lee, I told them on Tuesday. And I asked for their forgiveness because I was very grumpy on Monday. I was, I was in withdrawal on Monday, so I couldn't, you know, who knows what I did and said. This is the special party. Where are the donuts? <laughs> We're going cheap here, okay? You just enjoy my joy, okay, Steve? Yeah, yeah. All right, very good. So anybody else? Somebody else said there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Richard. You know, the thing it is, I think what happens to me is that what they call in teacher land, um, and I have a hard time pronouncing it. Yeah. Automaticity. What do they call it? Automaticity. Automaticity. Yeah, if you learn to do something. Yeah. And then you start doing it. Mm-hmm. And it becomes so automatic. Yeah. Really not conscious. You know, and I'm I mean, I was not conscious on Monday morning. I'm wonderful wife here. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pill that I have to take right before I go to bed. Yeah. Because the bottle sits up on the armoire. Right there where you, yeah. That's my trigger to take that pill. Oh, yeah. So you can remember it. But yeah. I, I worry about it. I know. I mean, I know. I know. You know, every once in a while I get in the car to come here, and because I just basically come the same way like forever, it's, um, I'm thinking, I get here and I go, gosh, did I run over anybody on my way over? <laughs> you know, I didn't, gosh, I just don't remember, you know, it's like that, you know. So these are things that I think about, you know, randomly from time to time. All right, very good. All right, well, let's get into our enough of that about me. But uh, anyway, 
uh, when we get to that verse where it says, let him who has ears, let him hear, well, we'll just change it. Uh, let him who has eyes, let him see. All right, we'll just change that. All right, well, let's get into our lesson for today. We're, uh, we're in chapter 13 of Revelation, and I, I went ahead and included this uh, verse 5, even though we kind of had looked at it last week, because it gives some, some context to what he's talking about in terms of, B, remember, this is beast number one he's talking about, and then we'll get into verse 11 where he talks about beast number two. So that's why I want to keep, keep the beast separate in our minds in terms of what, uh, which one is which and, and what it is that might be uh, talking about. Okay, in verse 5 he says, The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his, his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So I, I, put, the, uh, I put the diagram up on the board as the, uh, the triangle, and I did it that way, uh, an inverted triangle, because I uh, wanted to distinguish that from the upright triangle that we often use, the symbol of, of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you'll often see this in, in church uh, architecture or uh, religious art, the triangle like that that is depicting uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so one of the interesting aspects of what we, I'll just refer to in general as the Antichrist is that it also has a Trinitarian aspect to it. You have the dragon who is sort of seen as the father of it, and then beast number one and beast number two, whereas in the Holy Trinity, this would be the unholy trinity, but in the holy trinity, you have, fa uh, you have Father God. God is the Father, obviously. Then you have Jesus as the Son and Holy Spirit as the Spirit. So it's a helpful way to think about it. And I think the reason why it, it's be presented that way is because what, what the unholy trinity is all about is deceiving people. It's all about deception. And what better way to deceive people, especially people that are either uninformed or susceptible to being tricked spiritually? What better way to do that than to have some uh, perverted um, version of, of the Holy Trinity? Why not just make it look similar in some sense of that? Does that make sense to think of it that way? At least that's the thinking that... Um, that, uh, that I'm going to, and I'm seeing that in some of the commentaries that, uh, that I've been reading about this. And so, so it, the dragon we know is Satan. That's already been established in previous verses. But what he's talking about here in verse 5 is still a continuation of previous verses talking about beast number 1. And so there's, we notice some... Um, some characteristics of beast number one that shows up. It's given a mouth to utter proud words. What that suggests is, is that beast number one, there is a certain amount of messaging that goes along with beast number one. That in, almost, almost as if to say that the dragon himself, Satan, is not the one doing the public speaking of something but rather is using beast number one and beast number two to be the mouthpieces of that. And so you think in terms of messaging, you might think in terms of some form of media, okay? Some form of getting the word or whatever the word is that the dragon, that Satan wants to get out there, that the beast is the one doing the speaking. So, so what is the, the nature of the speaking is blasphemy and slander, not just against God, but also against heaven and against those who live in heaven. Now, the other thing is, interestingly enough, is that in verse 7, it says that that, that that beast is also given power 
to wage war against God's people and against uh, everyone in the world. So here's the question. Who is giving it that power? I guess I guess we'll have to wait and see, huh? Do what? God. God? Why would it be God? Because he made it. Hmm? He made everything, including him. He did? Okay. So you're saying that whatever comes out of the beast's mouth, ultimately, is even if it's from the dragon, it's still by the allowances of God. Okay, let's hang on to that thought. Any other thoughts you might have about that? I like the thinking. I just want to see how, where everybody else is at. It's coming from the dragon. Mm-hmm. Satan, Satan has powers. He's not without power. Yeah. And he can influence. That's right. We always say the devil made me do it. That's right. So. <laughs> of course, we say that because we did it, but, you know. I don't really want to take responsibility for that. Yeah, okay. All right, so uh, I guess understand what I'm asking because I maybe I'm being a little confusing. The content of what he says is coming from the dragon, okay? The, the thing he's saying, okay? But notice what he's saying here. Verse 7 says, he was given, it was given power. That word given, see, suggests that somebody is giving or allowing that to occur. And the choice is either it's Satan allowing it or God, or God and it's given one or the other. So we'll play with that and see where, uh, where we go with that. Um, but notice the verse I included there, verse uh, uh, Philippians 3, 18 and 19, with respect to the fact in verse 8 where it says everybody's going to worship the beast. Now, And then he, he sort of qualifies that by saying all whose names have not been written in the books uh, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Who is that? Who's he talking about? Unbelievers. Yeah, he's talking about people that have, have both um, rejected God rejected his truth, rejected Jesus. And it would even include people who say, I worship no God. Okay, there are people today who, it's not that they, they say, well, you know, I just worship no God. That's kind of the, a very popular thing for people to say. Those people are the ones who are included in this, right? Okay, well, notice what Philippians 3 says. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Okay, That's a description of, see, when, when you have a life and you dedicate your life in such a way that it does not include God, God is not the foundation, God is not the centering point, God is not the 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 truth by which you measure and judge all other truths, okay? Because there's lots of stuff that people say is true. All right, well, okay, we'll acknowledge that. But you still have to have the central truth, right? If you take that out of your life, or you just treat it in a rather indifferent way, then what happens is, is that you are now in the category of being an enemy of the cross of Christ, even if you're not actively doing something to destroy Christians, even if you're not actively doing something to to erode the church or to, to thwart the gospel in some way, okay? You can be an enemy of the cross of Christ and simply be indifferent, which many people are today, okay? All right. So, so again, it's this idea that the beast itself coming out of the dragon has some significant power. And so this is where then he says in verse 9, whoever has eyes, let him see, right? Oh, sorry, that's not right. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, that's, a, that's an important phrase. Jesus often used that same phrase. You can go through the Gospels and see many times he said exactly the same thing. Do you know what his point is? Listen up, right? That's what he's saying. In other words, it's a, it's a uh, kind of a linguistic tool to say, what I'm about to say is life or death. What I'm about to say is really important. Now, we would say, well, everything's important. Yes, it is. But this is like extra emphasis. If he had been giving gold stars, there would be a gold star right next to this one. Okay, so let's see what he says. Oh, wait, Brian, yes. Was there any symbolism to the 42 months? Let's see, how many days is the 42 day, uh, 42 months? Somebody, 
What's the math on that? Is that the 1260? Yeah, they're all the same. Three and a half years, 1260, 42 months. Yeah. So it's a length of time that has an end. Okay. Now, again, if you take it literally, well, then you're going to have difficulty with, well, what happens if it goes beyond that? Okay. So that's why, that's why when we look at the numbers in Revelation, um, for the most part, I think it, it's a, a better use of it to think of it symbolically. A long time with an end. Okay. Very good, 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 good question. Okay, verse 10. Here's what he's quoting. He says, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, what? They'll be killed. Now, what's the message? You get what you ask for. Hmm? You get what you ask for. I don't know if anybody's asking for this, but you're close, Okay. Society will not improve. Bummer. Bummer. Right? It's not. Until eternity comes, this is, this is life. Up and down, up and down. Some things are fair, some things aren't. Some things work out, some things don't. Um, good and evil exist side by side. And this is a great disappointment to a lot of people today. Because there's a, there's a whole range of people today who want the world to be if you take it to the extreme, they want the world to be in utopian society. Everything's fair. Everything's equal. Everything works out. There's no discrimination. There's no anything. And one of the complaints that I often hear, mostly from out of my Lutheran background, is that you Lutherans are so focused on eternal life that you're ignoring what's going on in the world around us. And I am wrestling with that just a little bit. Because from our Lutheran perspective, our whole thing is all about justification by faith through grace, by grace through faith. Get to heaven, right? All about sharing the gospel. Let's, let's, every sermon you're going to hear that. Every Bible study you're going to hear that. Everything in our Lutheran world you're going to hear that. But I wonder if there is some legitimacy to that criticism. That we're so focused on the hereafter that we're not thinking a whole lot about the here now. What do you think? Like the whole environment thing? Well, I mean, there's a lot going on in people's thinking today, mostly that they're upset about. So you got the environment, you got climate change, you have all the racial stuff, you have all the gender stuff, you have all the gay stuff, you have all the, um, all the stuff, okay? There's a lot of things that people are upset about and... Um, are drawing conclusions, some of which are biblical, many of which are not. We have to kind of distinguish between them. But to look at that criticism, because I hear it, I'm, on, I'm in the position to hear it a lot. And so I have to think, well, okay, I want to think about that. Initially I go, no, but you know how that is. Um, so I'm thinking about it. Are we so focused on eternity that we're not paying enough attention to what's going on around us. Now, for sure, hopefully, I guess, um, the eternity perspective that I talk a lot about in here, we want that to affect how we do our life on earth. But by the same token, we're reminded here that life in this life isn't what it is for us. It's life in the life to come. And we want as many people to share in that as we can or as God would allow. But we're, our job is to share the gospel in it. But yeah, still the focus is not on changing society. You don't see in Lutheran theology, for sure, a lot of emphasis on changing society. You see a ton of it coming out of John Calvin. Calvin's thing was the whole idea that if, if society doesn't change, then the gospel's not doing its work. That's total night and day difference between where Luther was coming from. See, in our DNA is, is Luther, except in the South, we're kind of, we drift a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just think we do a poor job as Lutherans in advertising what we do. Oh. We do a lot of work as our Senate um, and all of the organizations that we have in social ministry. Mm -hmm. We have the Lutheran World Relief. We have Lutheran Church Charities. We have yeah. Lutheran Social Ministries. We have whatever uh, <laughs> they call uh, the used to be Lutheran Social Services. We have 
um, LWML, we raise $2 million every two years to give away to all the different Lutheran charities. Right. I think we do a poor job of advertising all mm, of that. Maybe so. I mean, I, I don't My opinion. Well, I know that there's a lot of media coverage that we get in our own circles. I'm just not sure how far out it's going. And then... I think members of our own conference. Um, well, that could be. That could be. Yeah, we probably ought to just ask them sometime. <laughs> I'm just saying, how many people know that we load a truck out here for Lutheran World Relief every year? Well, probably unless there's a camera on it and it's beaming out to, you know, Facebook or wherever it would go. That probably is right. That probably is right. Yeah. Did you guys know about that? Hmm. Try yeah. Now he is like Triton is like the magic man, you know. We all in fact we all look at the uh, video and we go, Oh, Triton, he's so cute and we don't even see the what you guys are doing. How many yeah, so. people know that the Lutheran church is the number one group that doesn't get adoption? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, Lutheran Trustful Services. So there's a lot there's a lot going on and I to some degree that should remind us that there's a lot of attention being paid to temporal world. Okay, so I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that in consideration. And the next time somebody criticizes me, I'm going to throw that back in their face. And by golly, you know, now I feel better. <laughs> but again, just kind of thinking about it from that point of view, maybe part of it is thinking about how we treat each other beyond the organizational level of what we give our money to, and what we services we provide. That to think about how I interact with somebody who's different than me. And Lutherans have kind of always not had the best reputation that way. You know, if you, if you speak the kind of German we speak, well, okay. I mean, but historically, that's kind of how that was, right? I mean, we didn't even go from German to English until we were forced to by World War One and World War Two, And the only reason we went to English is because people thought we were Nazi spies. And so then they said, well, you better change. So, okay. So there's a little bit of um, just kind of thinking about that and not wholesale change or anything. i just letting you know. When, when I get a lot of feedback like that from more than one person, then, then I'm going to think about that. And then I'm going to throw it on your lap and let you think about it too. Yeah, Armin. Well... I, I'm, we, we, when Karen and I grew up, we were born and raised in the Metroplex, and you kept thinking and hearing, you, you know, we come to church, and, 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 and our whole life was about achieving the American dream. Yeah. Like, that's why we are here. Yeah. And it's manifest destiny. We're the greatest country on the planet. Let's enjoy our prosperity. Mm -hmm. Let's waller in it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's, it's occurring to us, you know, you don't, you don't plan for... Don't ignore retirement. We spend so much effort in, on, on retirement. What are you going to do when you lose your job and you quit and you get too old to work? We got to do all the. You talk to people. Oh, plan your retirement. For heaven's sakes, what about eternity? I mean, it really does all come to an end. Kind of does. It's scary to to those that are lost. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, Karen and I started. It, it's a struggle because we're going to tear ourselves away from the concept of the American dream, right. and I'm not doing that real well. Yeah. But we're it, it, to your point about we keep talking about eternity, and we're not talking about the here and now. And I have to confess, my attitude is also drifting towards here and now. Who cares? I mean, it's really about eternity. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, if, if, if I've got a handicap, a, a a, a disability or something that prevents me from enjoying life in a certain way or, or something else that yeah. I cannot overcome. We, we, we all have things we got to struggle with, but some things you can't, you can never fix in this, in this lifetime. Amen, brother. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm just, well, I, again, I think that, I think it's a healthy thing to be aware of the tension and then to not to embrace the tension. It really is a both and, but you're right. At the end of at the end of things, it's your eternity. That's what it is. Well, Christ fed the hungry. He didn't only just walk around preaching, but he also fed and he healed. So I think we, we're called to do that. Too. Yeah, there's a lot in the Bible that talks about you know my treatment of of people that are orphans and widows and 
and the hungry and the lame and all that. To, and um, there's not a whole lot on racial, but there's quite a bit in terms of the disability of others and the um, uh, misfortune of others. I, re- I read this the other day that uh, somebody has come out saying that the Bible is bigoted. That's kind of the new thing now to say that because um, it doesn't denounce slavery. Okay? So, see, we, we need to be aware. See, it doesn't. What it does is it says to, that if, you're, if that's your station in life, then, then do it faithfully. Okay? Now, does, that's not condoning slavery. Slavery is a bad thing. But it, but the the popular thing today is, is to is to take God's word and denigrate it. And I'm looking at a lot of what's going on today, and I'm hearing messaging coming right out of the unholy Trinity. That it may well be, it may well be today's version of this. You know, Luther had his in his day that what he, what he thought it was, and then John. John and Paul, in their day, it was Gnosticism. That was their version of it. And so I think what happens is through, through history, there's a sort of a, a reemerging of the same thing. It just keeps showing up in different ways, and the message gets spread in different ways. But the fact that it tells you that the reason why people are drawn to it is because in a million years, nobody's changed. <laughs> And as Bob as often reminds me, there's nothing new under the sun. That was Solomon's words, and Bob is our Solomon here in this class. So, yeah, yeah, Lawrence. I don't think there's any such thing as the American dream. That's just in your head. It can be, yeah. I think it is, because every time I turn on the TV, all I hear is the American dream, the American dream. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the American dream. Well, that's a great point. He didn't die on the cross for our Americans. Right. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. Yes, sir. The world's a little, big, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I want to fulfill the American dream. I want to have the opportunity to live the American dream. Well, then shut up and do something. <laughs> <laughs> you can't sit on your butt and drop food stamps. Well, again, the social, the social network—not to put to put that down because that social safety net is there for people that really truly need it. So we want to be be able to respect that and honor that. There's always going to be people that game the system. There's always going to be that, you know, and so that's part of maybe why society really actually doesn't actually change. But the but but the issue would be maybe, and we can finally kind of move off of this a little bit. because I took us there, right, um, is that if I have that eternity perspective and I know where, uh, I know where I'm headed, then I'm going to try to let that make a difference now. And maybe other people will join us in heaven because of that. And maybe that's the point of view. So the American dream is what it is. I guess if you live in France, it's the French dream. You know, I don't know what it is. But, but... So there are lots of distractions in this life that will get in the way of that. And I think the message always back to us is, you can be in, as evolved as you want to in, in all, a million things in this life, but don't let that get you out of this. Don't, you know, like Jesus said, um, you know, what, is, what do you gain if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? And it's so easy to do that, to be so wrapped up in the concerns and worries and inequities and all those things of this life, that then that becomes your main thing. That becomes your salvation. That becomes your joy in life. Well, that's fleeting. At the end of the day, eternity is. And that's where our citizenship is. The Bible says that's our citizenship. We're staying here for a short period of time. You know, whatever length of time God gives you is a dot on the whole history of the world. Okay? But let's make the most of it. And while we're doing it, we're pointing to here. Now, some of you, did you notice what I wrote on here? What did I write on there? Those of you that had really good eyesight. Yeah, it occurred to me this morning uh, during um, during the anthem, um, she was singing a variation of the 23rd Psalm. Did you catch that, those of you? That was sweet. What a sweet thing. And it occurred to me at the very end of the 23rd Psalm, what does David say? Surely 
goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It occurs to me that ups and downs of life are the reality until we get to heaven, right? But the, one of the promises of God is that no matter where you go and no matter what you experience, his goodness and his mercy will follow you. It's not your goodness and mercy. Good luck finding that, especially when it's down there, right? His goodness and mercy. So that's kind of a nice thought, isn't it? Yeah, we're making a wreckage of our lives here, right? And God is sort of sweeping up after us. Isn't that nice? His goodness and mercy. Okay, well, let's get back to our lesson. I guess we have one for today, don't we? Um, So at the very bottom, then notice he says, on the basis of everything that beast number one, in speaking for the dragon, okay, is doing in the world today, John's day or our day, right? This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. The note there is, though believers will be tempted to seek revenge or retribution toward their persecutors, instead patient endurance and faith are called for. Such is the attitude of people whose citizenship is in heaven. We are, Christians are aliens here. We're aliens here. We do not fit and that's part of the difficulty is that sometimes when we engage with the world, the world goes, huh, there's not a fit. Okay, thank goodness there's not a fit. So uh, what is patient endurance? I know all of you are so strong in it. If you would just define it for me, then I'll be happy. What is patient endurance? What is it? How do you know if you've got it? Nobody wants to go there. Okay, Glenn, what is it? It's trust. It's trust. It's faith. Yeah. Just Yeah, it it's kind of like the the desire is going to be to try to escape the world or escape the difficulty. And what patient endurance means is that I don't do that. I mean as if you could anyway. It's pretty tough to do that, but it's resilience within testing and within persecution, you know. Time with the Pardon? It's also having time with God. Time with, yeah. My life, my day. Yeah, I think so. I have one Yeah, I think that f- would feed that, you know, a little bit. Yeah. First, um, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. That, that's carried me through a lot of things, but I really want to escape. Yes. And, you know, my power is made for people to Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, I love that verse, too, because that word sufficient means enough for the day. So, you know, I don't have to worry about needing enough grace for tomorrow because I have enough for today. And then tomorrow, I'll have enough for tomorrow. I love that part, yeah. So I have a biblical answer. A biblical answer. How 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 novel in this group, yeah. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Yes, Romans 5. And then every time you rip on my Astros. Yeah, exactly. So Romans 5, 3 through 5. Yeah, says, what does it say? Well, if you're going to quote, you know, that's uh, that's the uh, hazard of being in here. Hazard's not a great word for that. I love that word, yeah. It's it's a a learning experience. Okay. While you're looking that up, and then faithfulness, what is that? Faithfulness, what is that? It's faith, but faithfulness suggests an adherence. There's an adherence to God's word. It isn't just, oh, I believe in God's word. It's actually that. I'm I'm a follower of his word. I'm actually that word is 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 guiding me and governing me rather than my own like um tendency in the moment. Okay. Bob, did you have a thought on that? Well, I was just uh, my version has here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. Yeah. In other words, here is the demonstration of the saints' perseverance on their faith. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You got the verses? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is the giver of God's love that is poured into us. And so you think of it that way, that... The source of the strength that you have to persevere or to show resilience is not from within yourself. So that's good news and bad news. The good news is it's not from you. 
The bad news is that eliminates a big excuse that most of us would give by saying, I just can't do it. <laughs> right? So don't come to me saying you can't love somebody or you can't because none of us can say that legitimately. It's God's Holy Spirit that fills us and enables us to do that. I may not want to in that moment, right? But the, the capacity to do it is uh, certainly there. Okay, let's go to verse 11 and following. He says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to cause breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Okay, pretty intimidating little picture there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so now we have the emerging of a second beast who has some relation to the first beast in the sense that in the same way that beast number one has, uh, has power and it's involved in messaging and there's a, a media aspect to it, we probably could say that the beast number two also has that same power. Uh, it spoke, it, it, it had two horns like a lamb. Now, what does that tell you? about the way in which Satan seeks to deceive people. What's the deception? They're just the same, right? There's no difference between this and the real lamb, who is the lamb of God, Jesus himself. Because see, the idea here is that if, if it can look enough like Jesus, if it can look enough like Christian if it can look enough like and sound enough like Christian, then it must be Christian. What is it? If it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. Okay, same idea, all right? Same idea. And to, to the undiscerning, or to people who say, ah, it doesn't matter what you believe, we're all going to the same place anyway, right? To people who say that, and it's, it's, it's frankly quite popular to say that, and it, it feels better to say that, doesn't it? That all roads lead to heaven, doesn't that feel better? Oh, thank goodness I don't have to lay awake at night worrying about that neighbor of mine or that kid I have or the grandparent or the uncle who's the atheist. I don't have to worry about that because all roads lead to heaven. Oh, thank goodness. Okay? I mean, after all, isn't God a loving God? How in the world could a loving God send people to hell to burn forever? Isn't that what people today say? Yeah, that's what they say. So Satan's so smart at deceiving. He's going to make it all look just like this, only upside down. And if you're not awake spiritually, if you're not, if you're going through life mindlessly like I was, you know, on Monday, um, if you're just going through the motions, if you're just doing what you do because that's what you always do, how easy it is to start to slide in that direction without even necessarily being aware that you're doing it. What was that word again? You used auto what? Autodicity. You're going to have to spell that out. Write it on the board someplace maybe after we're done today. Thank you. It'll be my new word for the week. <laughs> okay. See, when you say I'll be tested next week, that has like triple meaning to it. I don't think I want to be tested next week. So I was tested this week. So that's my quota. My quota for the month. Yeah, I better not say that. Okay. So it had two horns like the lamb, but it spoke like what? The dragon. And the dragon is all about shading the truth. See, sometimes the dragon comes right out with a flat-out lie. But I think he's more effective when he sort of packages the lie in half-truth 
and we only listen to half of what people say anyway. And so then we just go, oh, that sounded good. Oh, yeah, that sounded great. God is love. Sounds good to me. Okay. It exercised all the authority of the first beast, but beast on its behalf. So we know that, that this one derives the authority from this one, and this one derives authority from this, right? Does that make sense? Okay. And it performed great signs. And so you have these great signs that are going on. Now, one of the interesting aspects of great signs is that that's what is very attractive to people today. Now, it was also in his day. I mean, we'd be hard-pressed to come up with something that would equal the Red Sea parting, okay? But there's some pretty amazing things that happen today with special effects that cause people to go, wow, that's, that's beyond human ability to do. So it shows great signs. Now, what's the, what's the purpose of showing the signs? Yeah, is to get people's attention and to say, hey, this is the real thing. This is the real thing, not the, whole, not the Holy Trinity, all right? And so it's given the power, and because it's given the power, it deceives the inhabitants on earth. And so now there's this mention of an image that is set up and the, Im- the design of the image is, is that it's supposed to somehow convey power to people that that's what they're supposed to worship. So if you look down at uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12, some very, some very powerful words here that um, speaking again to some of this that we're discussing. He says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. So that's how we know he's talking about the unholy trinity, right? He will use all sorts of displays of power through what? Signs and wonders, right? Okay, there you got it. That do what? They serve the lie. Okay, we'll ask a question in a second. Well, what is the lie? All right. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. What are you hearing? It is not a pretty picture. (coughs) What are you reading? The lawless one comes out of the unholy trinity. Now, there's lawless. We, We might stumble over that a little bit and think, oh, like they're against civic law. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about against God's law. It's anti. It's opposed to God's law. And the other part there, the secret, I looked that up in the Greek, it's the, it's the, it's the Greek word mysterion. Mysterion is a, is a word that describes something hidden, something subtle, something stealthy. So the power that is at work, that was a really good one, by the way. Um, the power that is at work is under the surface that you and I can't see, but we have to know that it's there, Okay. And so this lawless one, I don't know, is that talking about a person? Could be, Luther believed it was, but everybody has their own idea about that. Or is it some a person that represents this? Or is it an entity, an organization? Is it a philosophy? I tend to kind of lean toward the idea that it's a philosophy. Okay, But it's this idea that the whole point and purpose of it is to get people, uh, believers and unbelievers, to uh, disregard God's truth, that the lie is connected to they refuse to love the truth. People today that say there is no such thing as an absolute truth are talking about the Bible as absolute truth, and they're saying it doesn't exist. So the whole idea of relative truth, the whole idea of relativism, uh, out of which so much of the uh, discord today is coming out of, okay? So it, it's a sobering picture, is it not? Okay, That there is a real effort in the world to take people away from the gospel and to take people away from the joy and the security and the comfort we have in Jesus. 
And part of the difficulty sometimes is that because that's the messaging that's all around us. It, sometimes it's hard not to sort of start thinking, gosh, is this gospel stuff really true? Is it like, is it real? Is it, I mean, how do I really know? I mean, you know, we all have those wondering moments, don't we? Okay. But again, I would say that, or argue that one benefit of what we're doing right now, collectively, together in the presence of each other, is, is that we are shoring up within each of us those moments when we have doubts which we all have amen yeah amen so let me see if there's any more there is but i think i want to stop right here so oh we forgot to answer that one question who's the giver god god now why is that good news he's got it covered he's got the plan right and part of the plan is to reassure those as we believe and trust in Jesus as our Savior that in this life we're forgiven and in this life we have the assurance of heaven. We just hadn't got there yet, right? So we live today as in anticipation of that, right? That affects how we, how we live today. But there's also the matter of unbelievers whom God wants to join him in heaven someday. And so part of the destructive side of or what's described as difficulty for unbelievers is the intent there is for them to see the futility of that and come back around to him. Okay, so it's not like he's just saying, well, I'm going to write you off. You guys don't believe in me. I'm just write you off. That ain't how God works. What God does is he says, "Okay, if you want a life without me, I'll give you a little taste of it and. If you pursue it, then that's just a little taste of what hell is. Because hell is life without God for eternity. Imagine living your imagine living eternity. I mean, that's hard enough to imagine. But imagine living your life and having no hope of what you could have had. Yikes. That's the beauty of what we share together in our faith together of what we do have. Okay? All right, good stuff today. Very, very powerful and 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 quite a bit sobering. So let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us. It comforts us. It challenges us. It stirs us up. It uh, moves us in, in many different ways. And so I pray, Lord, that our conversation today, together with the words that you have spoken to us, that they would do all of that and more in the coming week, days of coming. We pray that you watch over us and you be with us until we're together again. We pray that in Jesus' name.